Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so excited to be introducing our guest today. We are going to be diving into fluency strategies for some special populations. Um, and our guest is Stephen Groner. He is a practicing speech language pathologist and person who stutters. Um, and he now speaks very fluently. Um, and I can't wait for him to share a little bit of his story with us. But he is on a mission to make stuttering therapy easy for everyone. And he does that by sharing practical strategies. And he has such an amazing way of breaking down stuttering and fluency therapy in a way that makes so much sense. And I can't wait to hear all of the tips. So without further ado, uh, let's chat with Stephen Groner. Hey there. It's so good to be with you. And before we dive into all of the amazing uh, tips and resources that I know you've got. um, (laughs) You would be right about that. What got you into the field of speech pathology and how did you come to learn so much about stuttering? Can you tell us just a little bit about your story and your journey there? Yes. Yeah. Um, Well, if you jump back with me, um, when I was six years old, I had to give a speech. Um, It was a speech on my favorite animal, um, horses. And I, I got this book and I researched all kinds of facts and I wrote my speech down and I decided to run through it with my mom. And so I stand up in front of her uh, and my brother and I went to start and I couldn't say the word horses. Uh, That H, it just wouldn't come out of my mouth. And I don't know how my mom kept a straight face as I tried to get through that word, but that that was the first time when I knew that something was wrong, um, something was up, and it continued from there. Um, it was hard to say my name when I would meet new friends, uh, hard for me to raise my hand and talk in class, hard for me to read out loud in front of class, even though in like the fourth grade I could read at a college level, um, and. <clears throat> Somehow, I got out of school-based speech therapy, I think because I had really strong language skills and my stuttering uh, was not impacting my academics, but it's because I would, I would switch words and I, would, I, I had to work so hard to get any thoughts out. Um, so by the time I was 17 years old, I had had it. I was done. Um, talking was just too hard. And I was just tired of not feeling like I was known, um, being scared that I would never get a job, um, tired of like every single conversation being a hard one. So I did what we all do. I hopped on uh, Google and I found a two week long intensive um, fluency shaping program in Virginia. And two and a half months later, I was there. And for two weeks, I sat in a small room um, with a little box and a lot of workbooks. And I, I was taught how 
to remake speech sounds in a more fluent way using uh, fluency shaping techniques. And it completely changed my whole life. Um, I could, I can, I can still think to when I walked off of Main Street and walked into this little um, deli and I walked straight up to the counter and ordered lunch for the first time without stuttering. Like I ordered the exact sandwich that I wanted and I asked for exactly what I wanted on it and it came out and I got it and it was just, it was, it was just so freeing. And so that was, that was, uh, that changed my whole life. And I wrestled for a few years, um, wondering if I would ever make a good speech pathologist, if I myself um, sometimes stuttered. Um, but in the end, uh, I decided and was was shown that I actually might make a pretty good one because I'd been there in their shoes. And so um, it's been over 10 years now um, since I first went to that uh, fluency shaping program and every day since and all the years through graduate school and out of it i have just been learning more and more and more about what we can do to help people like me to speak more fluently and so i was uh, i was pretty downcast when i got to graduate school though and found that um fluency wasn't always taught very well or that a lot of students didn't feel like that they got what they needed from their grad school classes and then they were kind of thrown out into the um, field and did, had no clue how to help you know these these little kids who couldn't get their thoughts and words out and I I I felt bad because I knew so much and knew how how much good that that um, that great therapy could could give. And so I thought, well, you know what, I'm just gonna make it nice and sweet and simple and um, easy for speech pathologists to learn how to do this well. So um, that's, that's why I'm here. And that's how I got to be here. Oh my gosh, so many amazing nuggets in that story. And I wish you guys could see me because I was like fist bumping and it's probably good you couldn't see me, but I was <laughs> I hope you were nodding and fist bumping along with me for all of those. I was, <laughs> yeah, silently inside. <laughs> and all the people who are listening because oh my gosh, so much good stuff. Um yeah. Thank you. I just okay. So now let's just get into all of the. Let's dig stuff. in. Um, so we're talking about two special populations today, um, and this I've gotten a lot of because listeners can submit questions to the podcast, and this is one that I've gotten a lot about because like we've you've talked so much about stuttering and fluency, and we had a focus inside of the SLP Now membership on it too. And they're like, this is amazing. Like I've got the foundation, um, but what about this kid or this kid? And a lot of mm. the patterns that were coming up were um, like children with concurrent intellectual disabilities and bilingual children. And yes. we've got lots of great things to share with us on both of those. I do. <laughs> but how about we start with some 
like, can we treat stuttering in children with concurrent intellectual disabilities? And if so, what does that look like? So the answer there is maybe. Um, the research is very, well, it's pretty sparse when it comes to um, fluency treatment in general, but it is very um, desolate when it comes to um, fluency therapy in special populations. So there's no agreement on whether or not direct um, fluency therapy is a good idea in children with ID. Um, there are thoughts on both sides. Um, what what we do know, and there there have been a couple of papers, really only three, um, that actually that I found that I use that I've drawn from uh, for my own practice that talk about um, if if we can and and should do it and how. So um, in the end, I would say yes, we should try, and if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work but we can't not try. So what I've found, there's a really great paper by um, Healy, Reed, and Donaher, and the copy that I have has no date. Um, but they say that in a child with ID who has multiple uh, disorders, the disorder that um, that most negatively impacts communication should be treated first or should be given preference. So if that is a language disorder, then then that should come first. Um, if it's stuttering, then, then that should be um, treated first. But they also say, actually, you can sort of blend the two. Um, so they say, maybe don't stop all the other kinds of therapy just to give fluency therapy. Uh, you can sort of blend all of your goals into the same task, right? Um, but we should definitely try. So if, and what's been found is that children with more mild ID do better when it comes to direct um, fluency treatment. And there, there really isn't any research that I have found on children with more moderate to severe ID um, and fluency therapy with them. But um, Healy Reed and Donaher give a lot of tips for how we could and maybe should go about doing fluency therapy for children with ID. So they say that you can still try, you can still use the same techniques that you would use with children who stutter who don't have ID, but you're going to have to adapt them, of course, um, to your child. So first they say, of course, greatly simplify the language that you use to explain uh, tasks and techniques, and use, of course, um, multiple modalities to get it into them, whether that, that's um, visuals, I mean, use all of the things at your disposal, um, but make it very, very simple. And the next thing I think is huge, and that is it's been found that modeling 
a technique or a behavior instead of telling um, children with ID how to do it works far better. So show them what you want them to do. Don't tell them or talk at them. Um, and they also say, really, you want to train all of the adults and caregivers who that child spends time with. You want to train them on the techniques as well so they can sort of use it in their speech when they talk to this child so that the child gets that modeling of how we want them to speak or how they could speak to get their thoughts and words out better. Um, and so that is huge. If you want there to be good um, carryover, you have to model and show it. And the people who the child spends a lot of time with each day also need to model and show it. I know that's hard because we all have so much going on, but it's just been found to work um, in this population. They also say to reduce your own rate of speech, which kind of goes along with that one. And, and this one might be hard too, but they say that um, in children who have ID, um, generalization into everyday speech has not been found if they've only been treated in a clinical context. So just like it's very hard even for a child or person who does not have ID to generalize fluency techniques outside of the therapy room, it is pretty much impossible for children with ID to do so. So therapy needs to, to take place in natural environments. Um, you're pretty much going to waste your time if you're not doing therapy where they live and, and where, where they are. I know that that can be hard, um, but really that's, that's just, that's, that's just what has been found. Um, so those are some general, um, treatment considerations. You can, you can still try and use all of the same tech techniques that you would use for a child who does not have ID, um, but they have to be greatly simplified. They have to be shown and modeled not only by you, but by other uh, caregivers in that child's environment. And therapy has to take place in naturalistic environments. So that's um, generally what has been found. Um, there are two case studies of a young girl with Down's syndrome and uh, and a 21-year-old uh, man with, with, with autism um, who have both been successfully treated for stuttering. Uh, and you can pick which one I start with if you want to hear about them. Yeah, let's do both of them. That would be amazing. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so... Let's start with Sarah. Um, so she is uh, or was an, an eight-year-old girl with Down's syndrome and a profound stutter. So she stuttered on 54.7% of her syllables in conversation, which is like off the charts. There's not even a chart for that. Um, and 29.8% of syllables in reading. Um, she had an IQ of 69. So that was mild in 
mild intellectual uh, impairment. And the treatment lasted for 17 months. And there was a total of 41 sessions in that month. Um, And treatment consisted of teaching fluency shaping techniques like stretchy speech, diaphragmatic breathing, gentle onsets, continuous phonation, and light articulatory contacts. Um, They also uh, trained her in taking extra time so she could formulate her language. Uh, They trained her parents and adults at school to model a slower slower rate of speech, uh, as well as some of the techniques. And even though she was eight years old, they uh, they also trained the parents in giving verbal contingencies um, or responses like one would give in the Lidcombe program. Um, so praise for fluent speech and re- requests for correction um, at between a five to ten to one ratio. So five to to ten praises for fluent speech to every one request for correction. And last but not least, they included some training uh, on how to respond to teasing and bullying. Um, and I, I don't believe that I mentioned their names uh, at the start, but this is um, Harrison and Langevin uh, 2012. And the results at the end are pretty so wheat, if you ask me. So she went from 54.7% syllable stuttered in conversation to 6.35% syllable stuttered. And then get this, four months post-treatment that had improved to, to just 0.8% syllable stuttered, less than 1% syllable stuttered down from 54.7%. So it definitely can work that you can treat stuttering in um, clients who have ID. But this took a long time. It took a lot of buy-in from a lot of people. And she had um, only mild ID. Um, But I still think that that's pretty stinking sweet, if you ask me. So that is amazing. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) I love that. <laughs> so that's Sarah. Um, do you want to hear about how stuttering was treated in a young man with with autism? Yes, please. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so they don't give his name. Uh, so I guess we'll just call him Dude. Okay. So um, Brundage, Wellen, and Burgess, also in 2012. 2012 was a great year for research uh, in fluency um, and special populations. It seems like it's like the only year where it was done. But um, there's there was a 21-year-old young man uh, who had autism and a severe stutter. So he had an IQ of 82 um, and deficits, of course, in receptive and pragmatic language. And he stuttered um, on about 14.5% of his words in conversation. And 
what is cool about this case is that he had very poor self awareness of his stuttering, which is something that I hear a lot when I get asked about how on earth do we treat stuttering in children with ID. It's like they're 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 not aware of their disfluencies. So how on earth can we help them to change them? Right. So they carried out a um, a single subject A B A B um, experiment. And they blended it where they did it at the same time as the social pragmatic um, treatment that he was getting before they started treatment for fluency. So each session, um, half of the time would be given to um, stuttering treatment and then half of the time would be for for pragmatic language. Um, and they they did 43 sessions um, and condensed um, some fluency shaping rules uh, to just three. So they uh, trained him on speaking slowly, saying each word only once, and saying each word short. Those were his fluency rules. Uh, and those were adapted from, I believe, Runyon and Runyon's 1986 um, fluency rules program. So they had him write those rules down until he could state them by heart. Um, and then they were used in utterances of increasing length from single words all the way up to conversation. Um, and they would advance to, to the next level when less than 5% of his words were stuttered at the current length. Um, so at the end of that treatment, which was 43 sessions long, of course, only half, half of the time in those sessions um, was dedicated to um, stuttering therapy. He had reduced his stuttering from 14.5% of his words stuttered to just 3% of his words stuttered. Um, so that too shows that, and yes, he was 21 years old, but he still had very poor self, uh, awareness of his stuttering and yet training him in these, um, fluency rules still worked. Um, and so that was, that was really great to see that it can in fact be done. Yeah, that's pretty amazing given that he's a 21 year old plus the concomitant issues right. that he still made that amount of progress. Yeah. Like I it's feel like huge. That's really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be done. We just don't know a lot about how it gets done because there's not a lot of science that has been done on it. Um, but what I would say, and some, some folks say uh, that we shouldn't do it because it w- it'll be too hard for children with ID to learn these techniques, or if they can't do them, then they'll only feel more shame about their speech. Um, Basically, it's just too hard, or it's going to harm them more if we try. And while I think there are valid um, reasons for that thinking, I just don't think it plays out, at least in the science that I have read. If things are adapted in the way that they have to be and there's a lot of buy-in from other stake 
holders, it can for sure be done at least for children with more mild ID. So definitely for them, you should do treatment. We don't know all that much about how well it works if you have more moderate to severe stuttering, but I think that means that we have to try. And then if it doesn't work, then at least we know that it doesn't work for that child. But to not try, I think, would be doing them the one of the greatest disservices um, in their lives. So that's that's my thought on it from what I know. Um, and I'm sure that there's still a lot left that I have to learn. But that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, that's so incredibly helpful. And that gives us a little bit of license too to just start taking that action because there's not any resource telling us how it has to be done. So we get to create or we get to take some of that creative license and just Exactly. We have we have brains, right? We have brains and we know good things. And like when have we ever not tried something? You know, if we, if we, I mean, any child or client or patient who we have, we throw the book at them. Like we try every single thing out there that we know to try to help them. And so like, why would we, why would that be any different, you know, in stuttering? And so it's, it's, it's actually cool that we get to go where science has not gone yet. And that means that we get to use our brains that we paid a lot of money to have filled with a lot of knowledge to, try to help these kids. So I think it's pretty sweet. Yes. All the raised hand emojis <laughs> now. <laughs> love it. I love that. Because yeah, we get to, like, we get to fill in the science until it arrives. Yeah. Because it must be arriving right. eventually. Yeah. Um, Let's hope. It, we, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it just has to, right? right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it will but science is slow, right? So just like you said, like we have, we have to hold the beach until it gets there and then we can follow its lead and we can also help to make it too. But, um, yes. you know, just to kind of surrender the field because we don't know or it's too hard. That's not us. I mean, that's not me. That's not you. So, yeah. you know, why would we do that? Yeah. So good. <laughs> so, what about bilingual children? Do you have any more resources there? Yeah, or what are <laughs> definitely. So even though I hail from South Texas, um, Corpus Christi, I'm uh, just a few hours north of the border. I am not bilingual. And it's one of the um, the greatest regrets of my life that I am not. Um, so I know that there are a lot of other people who know more about this than I do, but uh, here's what I know. And that is that children who are, who are known to be fluently speaking bilingual children, they, pro they produce mazes um, that sound like sound syllable or word repetitions at a far greater rate than their monolingual peers. So they'll have more repetitions in their speech that is just typical as they navigate the formulation of language. Um, now, and that uh, like 78% of them have greater than 
than 3% of um, stuttered words in their speech, um, mainly these repetitions that are seen as they formulate language. So 78% of them who are known to be typical or um, fluently speaking, 78% of them run the risk of being diagnosed as stuttering if we use the monolingual um, standard of 3% word stuttered or more than 2% syllable stuttered. Um, and so Courtney Bird down at UT Austin has done a lot of really, really cool work um, with this population. So she's like, she's who I go to. Um, Bird spelled B-Y-R-D, not bird like the um, flying creature. But um, she, she says this, um, that we need to look for three things to know if a bilingual child who is, who is exhibiting disfluencies is truly stuttering. Um, the first is we, we need to look for if they have audible or, or inaudible uh, sound prolongations in their speech. So um, fluently speaking, bilingual children will not uh, prolong sounds as they formulate language. So if you hear those, then you have one check mark that this, this is probably actually real stuttering uh, and, and, and not just mazes. Number two, we need to look if there is parental concern for stuttering. So usually when parents come up and say, hey, I think that my child might be stuttering, it's usually warranted because they have seen it and heard it so much and they're not even experts, but they think that there's something wrong. Um, you'll see that it, that the parents of fluently speaking bilingual children are not concerned at all that their that their children are stuttering. Um, so if you do see or hear about parent concern, then that's a second check that this actually might be real stuttering. Um, and then number three, looking for any type of atypical tension. Um, so fluently speaking by lingual children will don't seem to exhibit um, tension in their repetitions. Um, they're light, they're easy, and they get through them quickly. So if you see tension, then you know that there's struggle and that that might be uh, a third check mark that this actually might be stuttering. Um, so that's that's how to that's the best way that we know how and that's from bird 2015 and bird 2018 um i'm sorry it was uh bird at all 2015 um and then just just bird um 2018 that's that's the best that we know that i currently know about how to sort of differentiate if they're just typically developing or if they're if they actually stutter Awesome. And I'll also be sharing because you're throwing out lots of really good articles and resources here. Um, so I'll share the citations for those at slpnow.com slash 15, um, as well as some other resources. If you're wondering, like I'm taking notes for you guys. No <laughs> um, good, good. Yeah. And so just to recap, so we're looking for audible or inaudible sound prolongations. 
yes parental concern or Mm -hmm. cold tension correct yeah nailed it three red flags awesome and then any other tips for us is there anything that we would do differently if we like what would we do if we identified one of the red flags versus the three of the red flags does it change what we do in treatment so and that's what's that's what's tough is that again we come to a place where there's not a whole lot of science um at least not that i have found and if you if you know of of one please send it to me um but there's there's not a whole lot about well should we treat just their um you know their weaker language or should we treat in both languages or should we wait to treat until later or whatnot so here like we 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 sort of have to use our best judgment and say um you know basically does their stuttering now does it does it adversely impact their communication and if it does then we should treat it okay if it if it doesn't or if it's new then like maybe you could wait or if they're you know super young or they you know haven't been stuttering for very long then of course i would say you know wait the 6 months to 1 year to see if it resolves on its own um but if you truly think that a that a bilingual child stutters, then you should treat them. And of course, you you can only treat them in the language that you're fluent in. So, like I would, uh, while it, it would, I think it would be great to treat it in both languages, because of course there are different um, phonemes in each language. There are different um, syllable structures, uh, different types of grammatical. Uh, complexity. It would be great to get to treat all of that in both languages. But of course, if you're, you know, if you're only fluent in English, then, uh, you know, and if if there is no, uh, if there is not a a bilingual SLP who is well versed in stuttering treatment, who you can refer them to, then it's going to fall on you. And so that that then is the best that we can do. And that is to treat them in the language that we are fluent in. And I think one, one thing to keep in mind as you, I think we should just treat them normally um, from that point on, except to know that their language formulation time might be longer than for a, um, for one of their monolingual peers and just to give time for, for that. Um, but besides that, like we're, again, we're sort of on our own, um, until we learn more about how we can best serve them. I think the best thing to do is to just treat them, um, instead of not. So anything that you do will likely be better than doing nothing at all. So don't be scared of it. Just of course, do the very best that you can, just like, you know, we do every day. Yeah. And if we're taking our data, we're doing our best, we're being our own scientists until the research catches up and right like we'll we're just testing different things and if one strategy and we have to we definitely want to give it a fair try um but if we collect data for um maybe a couple weeks and i don't know do you have any feedback on how long you typically try something before you're like nope that doesn't work yeah so i um I like to I I like to see them 
doing it in sentences before I say yay or nay. Because if they can use a technique in sentences without my help, then I know that they that they can do it if they choose to. And if it still doesn't help, then we can move on. Uh, sometimes, rarely, I've had somebody try try something. And I like hate this. This makes me feel stressed or tensed and tight. It's so hard. I don't like it. And then I'll say, "All right, all right. Well, then we don't have to do it." But if they're learning it, if you know, if if they're trying to absorb it. I usually don't pull the plug on it until I see them at least try to do it in sentences and then make a make a decision from there. Yeah, and just with the nature of stuttering, it sounds like, because I feel like we've talked about this before, but I think you said in your own experience, like you kind of go through different strategies yourself. You kind of them <laughs> out, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I... Probably, I know like the back of my hand, I know, you know, easily 12 to 15 techniques that I could use at any given time to speak fluently or get through a moment of stuttering. And I've definitely used different ones more at different times of my life. Uh, and I, I couldn't tell you why that is. And perhaps it's just me, but I find that sometimes some of them seem to come just a bit faster to me, um, or they just seem to be working a little bit better. And so I'll lean on them. And then maybe I'll remember one that I used to use more, and I'll try it out. And then it works for me. And I just, I'm always trying to find the, uh, the easiest way to speak. And so whatever that is, I'm going to do. And so I, yeah, I, I sort of cycle through. So like, currently, uh, I am using the continuous phonation technique, which is very hard for me to say still to this day. Um, but I'm just trying to think to keep my voice turned on as I speak and trying to blend my voice um, through the borders of syllables. And that way, my my voice won't have to turn off and then turn back on and uh, put put me at risk of stuttering. I mean, of course, there are some speech sounds that are voiceless, and my voice will turn off. But um, the whole point of that technique is to is to try to keep your voice on as much as you can. Um, but then as I as I come up to, you know, a difficult sound, I'm trying to use the light articulatory contacts tech technique where I just say it with a lot less force to help myself get get through it. Um, And then I also currently love the attention shift technique. Um, And that's, I think that's, this is going to be like the new wave of stuttering research. Um, Harley 2018 wrote a really good article about the role of attention in um, stuttering and stuttering treatment. And it's been known for a long time that children who stutter have poor, um, poor attentional functioning than their fluent peers. And so she wrote a lot about how instead of doing physical things to change our speech, 
what if we change what our attention is focusing on? And of course, we don't know what the cause of stuttering is um, in black and white, plain and dry, but there are some hypotheses that uh, we who stutter rely too strongly on certain types of feed feedback in our speech and that maybe if we took our attention off of that and onto something else that uh, we would be kind of freed up to speak more fluently so um anyhow how that plays out for me uh in my own life and in my own practice is um i like to as i'm speaking well before I start a sentence, I like to think in my mind or focus my attention on the single word of rewarding, um, because for most of my life, speaking has not been rewarding. Um, and so I think that really, really strongly before I start to talk and taking my mind off of my physical speech actually lets it to come out more fluently, which is kind of nuts, um, especially because in my own story, it was, you know, really intense physical techniques were the first thing that allowed me to speak fluently. Um, and then as I speak through my sentence, I flip my mind back to that word of, I just, I, I just try to think it in my head, uh, the single word of rewording. And for some reason, the, the act of taking my mind off of what my physical articulators are doing actually helps them to work better. Um, and there's not a whole lot of research out on this yet, but I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to boom here in the next few years or so. Um, so that's, that's like one of my new faves that I use a ton. Um, and I think actually like might be one of my favorites of all time. But back back to what you asked me. Yeah, it, I, I love that I know a ton of different techniques that I can pick and choose from. And if I choose to put the work in to use them, because they, they are work, but they're far less work than struggling through, you know, constant moments of stuttering. Um, it's nice to have choice. We all like choice, right? And so... Uh, it's it feels great to be armed with all these techniques. Um, so teach as many as you can, and then let them pick. And uh, I don't I don't think that you'll be sorry. Yeah, that's so helpful, and I think that's important to keep in mind as we're trying these new techniques with these special populations where we don't really know what the data is supposed to. <laughs> Um, we can, so Stephen just gave us the okay to try different strategies. Some of them just won't work. Um, they are, they won't work right now, but you, you never know if it's what it's going to be. So we can give it a try. And then, um, also just with the nature of stuttering, it sounds like some days are much better than others. And so we're just naturally going to have some fluctuation in the data, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are so many things that, that go into, you know, will it be a good speech day or a, a bad speech day? You know, it's sort of like when you wake up, is it going to be a good hair day or a bad hair day? You know, if, uh, if I'm off of work and I'm really 
relaxed, then my speech is going to be more fluent than if I'm slammed at work, have my huge caseload. Um, my wife is sick. She needs my help. My, uh, you know, I have guests that are going to fly in and we have to get the house ready, you know, with all that stress and movement, it's just going to naturally be more difficult for me to talk. Um, so it definitely fluctuates and the amount of reserve that I have to, to give towards my speech will change as well. Um, and so giving myself, um, giving me and, you know, you giving your clients the most latitude and choice, um, to try to face, you know, the fierceness of life and, you know, it is fierce trying to give them the, the most tools as you can is the best thing that you can do. And it's fun because it means that you get to try a lot of things and then see which one works best. If you only try one, one thing and it doesn't work and you stop, then you've missed out on all the stuff that could work. So yeah, never stop trying. Yeah, I love that. Such good tips in there. Um, And then, oh, I had another question. And I just talked and talked, yeah, and made you forget it. I tend to do that. (laughs) Um, It was related to it, but we'll come back because we've got a lot of things to talk about. (laughs) So that was a super helpful overview of just generally how we're going to tackle um, students with concomitant disorders or intellectual disability, bilingual children. So we've got some really great kind of suggestions and a little bit of help with the navigation, even though there's not a perfect roadmap for us. No, there's not, sadly. But it was really cool to be able to hear the techniques that you're using for yourself. Um, So I thought we could take a couple minutes to just go through kind of round robin through a couple different techniques yeah what is your favorite technique for preschool children who stutter and if you have any ideas for how to modify it for those children with intellectual disabilities or bilingual children like if anything oh my goodness okay so if you treat preschool children who stutter and you don't know about and don't use syllable timed speech yet then you're not wrong. You're just, man, you're going to be so pumped when you hear this. So um, the syllable time speech tech technique, which uh, is can be called the robot speech technique, uh, and it's also called the Westmead program in Australia, where it was developed, um, is pretty simple, but daily practice with it for five minutes about five times per per day for nine to 12 months can reduce stuttering by 96 percent in children who are already more than a year out from their from their time of onset so for children who are past the horizon where most uh where most of them recover naturally syllable time speech Practice daily for nine to 12 months can reduce their stuttering by 96%. So how does it work? Well, you simply break up each of your words that you say into syllables and add a definite boundary 
around each one. And if you hear me, I'm trying to still keep a natural kind of prosody and intonation as I do this. And I'm not going very slowly like this. This is too slow. So you try to stay at as fast of a speed as you can. Try to keep some natural intonation. But you do that uh, for, for five minutes, five times a day, which means, yes, Parents have to be involved, but they should be um, because their kids are in pre are in preschool, um, and it's been found that doing that, whether you look at pictures, whether you read a book, whether you're talking uh, while you drive in the car, it's been found that children who are past their best window to recover naturally. Um, doing that for five minutes about five times a day can reduce their stuttering by 96% uh, uh, after nine to 12 months. So like I start with that one always, 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 always. I start with that one. Um, there was a phase two clinical trial. It's uh, Travkovsky uh, and colleagues 2011, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so that's my fave for those kiddos. Awesome. So helpful. And it seems like that one, because it's based on modeling, it could apply to all of them. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Like you just do it yourself and try to get um, children with ID to copy you. You could even teach this, of course, to parents and teachers and have them try it as well. Um, what it What it does is it's facilitates the forward movement of speech. So yeah, even though you break each word up into syllables and add a slight pause, as if you listen to me, my speech was plodding forward at a um, at a at a at a nice speed and it was it was more fluent than a child who stutters, right? And so giving young children's brains um, basically access to fluency to what fluency feels like helps i think we're not quite sure of course because it's so hard to do research on young young kids but the thought is that it then helps to rewire their uh, neural speech circuitry to to be more fluent so definitely definitely can be modeled well for sure pretty snazzy there well, thank um, you. So what about your favorite technique for school-age students? Well, all right. First, I'm just going to say that um, syllable time speech can also be used for school-age children up through um, their 11th year until they turn 12. At least that's what the research has found. So um, the, I believe, a, a phase, was it phase one or phase two trial? Um, it was done by... Andrews and colleagues 2012 did the exact same thing with school-age children, uh, age 6 through 11, um, and they practiced syllable time speech for five minutes, about five times a day, for nine to 12 months, and their stuttering was reduced by 87%, so not quite as good 
uh, as if they if they were in preschool, but still pretty darn good. Um, and what's what's great about syllable time speech is that it is not meant to be a technique that you use all of the time whenever you speak. Whereas with with fluency shaping techniques and with stuttering modification techniques, you're meant to employ those whenever you talk, whenever you or whenever you choose to. But the the thought is whenever you talk for the for the rest of your life, you may have to choose to use a technique to help you to speak more fluently. And syllable time speech is never meant to be a, this is how you're going to talk for the rest of your life. It's a, this is what we practice daily, just like if we were, you know, working out so that our speech then in normal conversation will be more fluent. And so I love that. So definitely add that into your uh, school age repertoire as well. It can be, you know, as easy as a warm up that you do at the start of your, you know, your, uh, you know, your session. Um, and then, of course, encourage them to do it at home uh, as much as they can. So that's probably the newest one that like I hadn't heard of until recently. I think until I didn't even I didn't find it until last year. Um, so that that's one that's not taught a whole lot um, for the school age population. Um, but if then if I had to pick like my next favorite one, uh, it, it would it would be well they sort of come as a bundle um, but the uh, cancellation um, um, pull out and preparatory set techniques um, that Van Riper um, talks about um, those would be my next favorite kind of my go-to's but um, I think a lot more research is coming out that school age children can actually do a lot of fluency shaping techniques. It sort of used to be said, well, fluency shaping techniques can't be used until you're 12. And then it was, well, maybe some children who were nine who uh, have really good self-awareness and are really committed um, to therapy, maybe they can use it too. And um, more and more research is coming out saying that actually even younger school-age kids can use um, the the whole slew of fluency shaping tech techniques um, that can be taught to adults. Um, so never think that you're kind of pigeonholed um, to just one kind of therapy. Um, so that's what I would say about school age kiddos. They're super fun. Yeah, that does sound super fun. And I question too because we have a. Uh, a variety of techniques that we can be teaching our students. And I'm just curious how you set that up. So do you target multiple, like how many, what's, and I know it really depends on the student, but <laughs> what's the most techniques you would introduce in any, like in one session or like what it, does the progression typically look like? Do you have any kind of default or Kind of yeah, so I I tend to to only like to 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 train or to teach um, one technique per session until they're well versed in multiple techniques. Um, so if they if they have mastered multiple techniques at the sentence uh, or um, or conversational level, then 
will do tasks where they can switch back and forth and they can try to use them both at the same time. Um, but whenever they're just learning techniques, I only teach uh, one per session. And even I'll spend a few sessions, three or five or even eight sessions on just one technique until they've mastered it, usually in sentences without my help, before I'll, I'll move on to the next one. And then as they learn more, um, and master more at the sentence level, then we can start to do tasks that are more complex and they can choose to switch back and forth or use more than one. Um, so for preschool age kids, I teach syllable time speech straight away. Um, I also teach parents to slow down their rate of speech and to reduce their demands on their child's communication. Um, and then lastly, after those three, um, I'll teach the verbal contingency uh, technique uh, or um, those, those responses that are taught in the Lidcom program. Um, for school-age kids, I also teach syllable time speech first, teach them about the speech mechanism, uh, teach them to identify their stuttering, um, go through the three um, cancellation, pull out and prep set techniques, then and also uh, do some light bounces where I have very light rep rep repetitions, um, not ones that are super uh, tense and tight. And then uh, I'll do, I'll try out um, voluntary stuttering uh, and self-advertising, which if you had led with those when I was six years old, say that you had me in therapy and you had led with those two, I probably would never have come back to speech at all. So I only teach those after I've given them actual physical ways to get through moments of stuttering. And then I teach them how they can volunteer or share that they stutter, which then of course does take um, a lot of the stress off of any conversation, but I don't ever start with that. Um, for adults, and then um, I'll, I'll even trial um, some of the techniques that I use more with adults um, because I think that they can that they can actually work um, with, with school age children who stutter. And then so for adults, um, I start with the stretched syllable technique. Then I pair that with the with the diaphragmatic breathing tech technique. And then um, those kind of, I, I, I wean off of the stretched syllable technique and teach gentle onsets, um, continuous phonation, light articulatory contacts. And then I teach what I call, what I've dubbed, the attention shift technique, which is um, the one that I talked about where I actually take my attention off of what I'm doing physically in my speech and put it onto something else. I like the word rewarding, and um, I teach them basically how they could have fluency without having to do any of the physical work that I just taught them how to do. Um, so that's that's normally what I what I do with those three age groups. Of course, it can be changed, it can be modified, and if I think that um, 
a younger child could benefit from some of the techniques that I use more for adults, then I'll go ahead and, you know, try them. It's, it's not going to hurt to try them. And if they work, you've just discovered gold. So like, why not dig and just see if it's down there? Um, yeah, but I hope that, that that helps when it comes to, to my mind, when it comes to uh, treatment planning. Yeah, super helpful. And so you just mentioned a lot of different techniques. And I'm unfortunately, we'll go through all of them, although that would be amazing. That'd be nice. Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about these techniques? Well, so I, I um, actually made exactly what I would have wanted um, when I was first learning about all these fluency tech techniques. Um, I created a package called the Ultimate How to Treat Stuttering Package, where I said, you know what, I hear from a lot of people that they didn't get taught how to, how to do all these techniques and how to teach them. So I'll just make it super simple because we, we have no more time in our lives. Um, and so I basically made videos of me doing every single one of the techniques that I knew. Um, and I wrote a handout for each one that you could give to clients or parents that breaks it down like step by step so that you just have to follow the steps look at me as I model it and then you can teach it and you can actually give those to your clients to take home that they can have um, whenever they do their home practice. So I would say honestly go there. It's it's gonna it's gonna give you the most knowledge in the fastest time in the simplest way than if you tried to go out and search and find how to do all these techniques. Um, so that is up at SLP Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N.com. Um, and honestly, that's where, I, that's where I would go because I made it because it wasn't out there, at least not, not that I had found. Um, so I, I just poured all of what I know um, into those modules. Um, and you get to hear me talk more, which I hope has been nice for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. And I actually got feedback from like someone else was telling me about how she was using these materials. Um, with, oh, really? Yeah, with a teenage boy. Um, and they were in a really rural area. And she actually, I don't know if it was intended this way, but she like you got to be the speech therapist for part of this. <laughs> but it was just really helpful for that teenage boy to see because he noticed like he noticed you using some of the strategies and that was just really powerful for him. And it was like, Oh, like, look at this guy. He's like doing this and successful and all of those things. So that is really so cool. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> well, um, then here's what I want to do. I want to give you a promo code for 25% off. Um, I'm just going to make it up in my head right now. And I'll go put it in whenever we hang up. But let's make it um, SLP Now Podcast Rocks. And if you use that, then uh, you can get 25% off. Um, just because that that story actually almost made me cry. So I'm so glad to hear that. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. I know people are walking away with lots of amazing tips and strategies that they can use. Um, so I'm so incredibly grateful. And yeah, thank and you. You are most, most welcome. And um, thank you for all that you do. You know that we all love you too. Um, and to all of you who are going to go out and fight the good fight and treat stuttering, even though it can be hard um, and is scary like know that you have the power to change lives and because because i know how much it hurts to not be able to say my name or order the food that i want or say the town where i'm from or the school where i go to i know that there need to be more of us who know what we're doing and the really cool thing is that we can um it just takes a little bit of uh courage and maybe a bit of a guide. So I'm so glad that I could try to even be that for you tonight. And uh, yeah, glad to be on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye, Marisha. Bye. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.